Good morning. Today is Monday, January 16th, 2023. Some people think rabbis have all the answers. Some rabbis think that. That is one fault I do not have. I struggle. I have questions. I have far more questions than answers. And I will share with you this morning, briefly, a question I have. I do not have an answer. I have studied this for many years. I have searched every commentary I can find. I will share with you some of the classic answers to this question, but not a single one of them is satisfying to me, and I hope will not be satisfying to you either. It is a question that spans last week's Torah portion of the Parsha of Shemos, this week's portion, the Parsha of Vaera, and next week's portion, the Parsha of Bo. In other words, the entire Exodus narrative. At the very beginning of it, in last week's Torah portion, where God appears to Moshe at the burning bush and tells him about the time has come and he will leave the Jewish people, and God says to Moshe, go back to Egypt and gather the elders of Israel and tell them, Pakod Pakad God remembers you, and I am going to take you out of the land of Egypt, El Eretz Zavas Chalav Udavash, to the land of Israel, the land of Canaan, called at that time, flowing with milk and honey. That's what God says, tell the leaders of the Jewish people. Then, Ubasa Ata, Vizigne Israel, El Melech Mitzrayim. Then you and Aharon, his brother, and the leaders will all together go to the king of Egypt, to Paro, Vamartem, and you will say to him, listen carefully, the Ata Nelcha Na Derek Shloshes Yamim Bamidbar. Now, Paro, allow us to go on a three-day journey into the desert, in order for us to be able to serve, sacrifice and serve, worship our God. But in asking Paro to leave for only three days with the clear implication that they're coming back after three days, what Hashem is telling Moshe to do is overtly duplicitous. He tells the, the, the leaders of the Jews that they're going to Israel permanently, but to Paro he says, let us go for a three-day journey. Furthermore, in the same passage, that is actually what happens? Moshe listens to what God says. They go back, they go back to Egypt, right? Aaron meets Moshe on the way, and they return to Egypt. They gather together the elders of the Jewish people. Aaron repeats to the elders all of the words that God said to his brother Moshe. The Bo Moshe And after that. Moshe and Aharon go to Paro and they say to Paro, let our people go. Right? 
let, let my people go, but let's remember, the next words are, v'yachogu li bamidbar, in order to worship God in the desert. Now the word chog comes from the word chag. Chag implies a one-time event. A chag, we have Pesach, and then it's over. You put away the chametz, and then you take the chametz back out. You go into the sukkah, and then you leave the sukkah. It's not permanent. So maybe you'll say that's not so clear. But wait, the next verse, two verses later, Vayomru, and they say to Paro, Elokeho Ivrim Nikra Olenu, the God of the Jews called out to us and said that we should tell, tell you, we have to go on a three-day journey into the desert to sacrifice and worship our God. In this week's Torah portion, the Parsha Vaera, at the fourth plague, which is Arov, which is uh, uh, wild animals attacking people, God forbid, and the Torah tells us it was kaved vayavo arov kaved besaparo. These wild, dangerous animals came even to the palace of Paro. V'chal eretz mitzrayim tishalches eretz mitnei arov, and the land of Egypt was becoming completely destroyed because of this terrible plague. And so Paro called to Moshe and Aaron and said. Go worship your God. Just do it in Egypt. Stay within the boundaries of Egypt, but go worship your God like you want to do. Moshe says, no, that's not enough. Now listen carefully to what Moshe says. Moshe says, no, it's not okay for us to stay within the boundaries of the land of Egypt. I'm sorry. Because it would be something disgusting to the Egyptians if we were to worship by sacrificing animals which the Egyptians uh, see as divine. So we, we can't do it here, but we will travel a three days journey outside of the boundaries of Egypt and then we can do it. Again, with a clear implication that they're coming back. Finally, in next week's Torah portion, the Parsha Bo, the tenth plague, we're now at close to the end of this whole thing. And it was in the middle of the night. God slay, slew, slew, smut, they were smitten, all of the firstborn of the land of Egypt. Never, God forbid, what a terrible, terrible plague. Vayakam Paro Laila. Paro got up in the middle of the night, he, his servants, and all of Egypt, and there was a great crying throughout Egypt. There was no house in which there was not someone who had died. Vayikra Lemosha Aaron Laila, and Paro called to Moshe and Aaron that night, in the middle of the night, <coughs> and he said to them, Luchu if do as Hashem kedaberchem. Go, I give in, I relent. Uncle, go serve God the way you said you were going to do it. The way they said they were going to do it is they would go for three days and then come back. In fact, 
I didn't read every single verse in the three portions that relates to the subject. This is just a selection. But in fact, not once in the entire narrative does Moshe say to Paro, we want to go free, never to return, to emigrate out of Egypt, not once. From beginning to end of the, of the narrative, not once does Moshe say that. And, as I mentioned to you, it occurs from the very first source, the first time that God speaks to Moshe at the burning bush, and this is not me. Rashbam, one of the great medieval commentaries, says this was a calculated misinformation. Why did God have Moshe do this? That's my question. So here are a couple of classical answers. Or HaChayim, classic commentator, Or HaChayim, says this subterfuge or misinformation was the only way to bring about Kriyas Yamsuf, the splitting of the Red Sea. Because, it's because Paro was only expecting them to go a three-day journey. That means three days to go, one day to come back. And that's why Paro was surprised after six days they had not returned, so he started to chase them. And he caught up with them at the Yamsuf, the, the Red Sea, and that is when we have the miracle of Kriyas Yamsuf, the splitting of the Red Sea. So without having giving Paro a reason to chase after them, God would not have been able to bring about this amazing, fantastic miracle with its impact for all time of the splitting of the Red Sea. And the only way to get Paro to chase after them was for Paro to think they were only going for three days and coming back. Once they're not coming back, I have to go chase after them. That's what the Arachayim says. The problem with that is, the problem I have with that is, where is the morality in that? I'm allowed to lie if it enables me to punish you more? Several other classic commentators give the following answer. It was the only way for the Jewish people to get out. Sakhanas nefashos. We've discussed this several times in the last few days. A threat to life, not a possible threat to life, not a potential, not if left untreated, all the other things we said. This is, they were being killed every day. Sakhanas nefashos. Their lives were in danger. We discussed this a while ago. To, to say something that's untrue is permitted to preserve peace. You know, if you, if, if you ask me, do you like the soup? Yes, I like the soup. It's delicious. I'm not a food critic, but I don't have to tell you that there's too much salt or, or, you know, or it wasn't hot. I can do that to preserve peace, to save my life? To save my life? Okay. The problem I have with that is the whole thing is still dependent on a miracle. Paro didn't agree even to the three days until the plagues, all of which were supernatural miracles caused by God. So if the ten plagues could bring about that Paro would agree to three days, presumably those ten, or maybe, God forbid, it have to be twenty, or maybe they have to be different plagues, would bring about full immigration as well. The Abarbanel says, again, another classic commentator from the 1500s. He says that Moshe did not really lie. He said they were going for three days. He didn't say what they were doing after three days. 
it, it, he implied, Moshe implied that after three days they would return, but he never said, and we will return. We're going for three days. Okay, but with all due respect to Barbanel, but is that really our standard for, for, for truthfulness? You know, it's interesting. I've shared this with you before. Nowhere in the Torah does it say, don't lie. The Torah does say, in Parshas Mishpatim, Midvar Sheker Tirchak, from words that are false, distance yourselves. I've shared with you many times the, the words of Rabbi Moshe Tendler, a blessed memory. And he used to say, and I heard him say this often, he used to say, the Torah is not only saying, keep away from lying. The Torah is saying, create a chasm between you and lying. That you should be on one side and, and lying should be way, way far away. Don't come up to the line. Yes, technically it's true if you read it literally or metaphorically. No, that's not what the Torah is saying. Midrash stay far, far away even from approaching something that sounds untrue. There is, in fact, a halacha, a requirement in Jewish law, a prohibition called Gnevas Das, for me to literally steal your mind, which means for me to create, consciously, a, a false impression that allows me to gain some benefit. Um, it is a prohibition of Gnevas Das if I'm selling uh, 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 baskets of strawberries and I put the nice ones on top, the big nice juicy ones on top, and the moldy ones on the bottom. Because a customer comes in, they see the ones on top, they figure they're all like that. And I am stealing your mind. I am misleading you into thinking that they're all good, when in fact, they're not all good. You have a store that uh, has a sign, restroom for customers only. And um, you have to use the restroom. Okay, I understand. It can be a serious thing. I understand that. But uh, if the store has a rule, it's a private store, they're allowed to have their rule. If I go in and I say to them, I say, yes, I am a customer, I just have to use the restroom first, and then you run into the restroom, and then you run right out without being a customer, you have, you have done something that is, not, that is dishonest. I've shared this story before. I think, it's, I think it's a great story. There was a gallery owner that bought a little-known painting by Picasso, Pablo Picasso, famous artist. He was very proud of the deal. He got a Picasso? The painting was not one of the more famous paintings, but it's still a Picasso? Picasso was an acquaintance of his. And one time, Pablo Picasso came into his gallery, and he showed, the gallery owner showed the painting to Picasso. And Picasso said, it's a fake the, 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 the gallery owner was distraught because, you know, he went to great effort and spent a lot of money to have a Picasso, and now Picasso himself says it's a fake. It happened again. And the same thing happened. And again, the same thing happened. Pablo Picasso himself said it's a fake. So finally, this gallery owner said to him, you mean to tell me that you really didn't paint any of these paintings? And Picasso said, of course I painted them. I can paint fake Picassos just like anybody else can paint fake Picassos. A person is required 
based on Jewish values, to live a life that is authentic, to be their authentic selves. Even this type of inauthenticity is not Jewishly acceptable. The great Hasidic massacre of Pinchas of Karet says, when telling lies shall be considered as grave a sin as adultery, the Messiah will appear. Well, that explains why he hasn't come yet. Many times we discuss the insights of Rabbi Shamshra Fol Hirsch, the great rabbi in Germany, lived in the late 1800s. Rabbi Shamshra Fol Hirsch was a rabbi in Frankfurt, Germany, and he was paid in advance for his profession, for his role, for his job. He was paid in advance every three months. He was paid for the following three months. In his will, he left instructions that his family should refund to the community the money that he had received since his last paycheck that he would not be fulfilling if he passed away before he did the three weeks' work for which he had been paid. Those are the standards that we should be reaching for to say something that can only be considered truthful by some tortured logic is simply not truthful. So that's it. I don't know. I have searched every commentary at my disposal. I have discussed this publicly before. I've asked other people for their input. I do not have a satisfactory answer. I don't have all the answers. If you have an answer, I would love to hear it. But until then, until we get an answer, at the very least, it should bother us. Another great medieval scholar known by the acronym of his name, Meiri, he wrote, Ha-emes kaved ma'od, al-kain nos eha muatim. Truthfulness is very heavy. Therefore, its bearers are few. So please, until you have an answer that satisfies you, let it bother you. Let this question bother you. But I will leave you today with this. When we are faced with a difficult question and we try to answer it and we can't find an answer, then we should do three things. Number one, we should keep trying. We should keep the question in our mind Someday we may hear an answer and we'll figure it out. That's number one. Number two, the question should bother us. How can it be that God commands Moshe to a strategy that appears not to be moral and just and truthful? And number three, after this Shabbos, we go on to the next Torah portion. My friends, I want to wish you a great day, and I look forward to seeing you soon in person.